0: Hello, and welcome to the Silo Solving Podcast. I am your host, Danelle Marquis-Brown. You can call me Day for short. And we have a fascinating uh, episode, again, lined up for you with two incredible guests with impressive uh, backgrounds and who can, together, I'm sure we're going to co-create some really intriguing and important dialogue. So I'm going to dive right in. And I'm going to introduce you to both of our guests, uh, Gary Burton and Sandrine Dixon-Tiklev. I'm gonna read their bio and uh, let's start from there. So um, first we have uh, Gary Burton. Uh, mm-hmm. Gary is the president of the Thomas Paine National Historical Association, uh, which was founded in 1884. The organization is amongst one of the oldest historical associations in the United States and is the uh, single most respected source Uh, for accurate information about Thomas Paine. It is the association's mission to ensure Paine's uh, rightful place in history as a preeminent founder of the United States of America and uh, as a key political theorist in the age of democratic revolutions around the world. Uh, Additionally, uh, Gary is on the International Editorial Board for an upcoming project on the collected works of uh, Paine and is the coordinator for the Institute of Thomas Paine uh, Studies at Iona University. So thank you for joining Silo-Solving today with us, Gary.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh, one correction, I've retired from the Institute for Thomas Spain Studies. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you for that correction
1: and- It's, full, it's full-time work doing the collected works. So. Okay. Uh,
0: well, thank you for that co- uh, correction. Okay. And um, our next uh, guest, we have uh Sandrine Dixon de Cleve. Uh, she is an international and European climate, energy, sustainable development, sustainable finance, complex systems thought leader. She is currently the co-president of the Club of Rome and divides her times between lecturing, facilitating difficult conversations and advisory work. As co-president of the Club of Rome, Along with Dr. Mempela Rempele. They are the organization's first uh, women presidents, uh, president. Uh, the mission of the Club of Rome is to apply holistic, interdisciplinary, and long term thinking to ensure broader societal and planetary well being, to move towards more equitable economic, financial, and sociopolitical models, ensure an inclusive human dimension to all systems change and to emerge from emergency. She has spent her career working with uh, bringing together business leaders, policymakers, uh, academics, NGOs uh, to uh, to unpack complex problems, and uh, currently uh, chairs the European Commission uh, expert group on economic and societal impact on research innovation. So thank you, uh, Sandrine, for uh, joining the Salo Solving podcast as well.
2: It's my pleasure.
0: And so for uh, context, for uh, listeners and, and, and readers, audience, so uh, the three of us have different um, means of knowing. I've had uh, some conversations with Gary before. This is my first time uh, conversing with Sandrine, and uh, Gary and Sandrine have never uh, spoken with each other either. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of just as whenever people who aren't really that familiar with each other goes, often there'll be like an icebreaker. So I have this kind of um, a play on an icebreaker, breaker, which I call a silo breaker. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, I'm going to read a, a particular passage from uh, one of Sanjee, Sandri- is a co-author of Earth for All, um, a survival guide uh, for humanity. Um, and so I'm going to read a passage from this work and then I'm going to... Uh, ask uh, a question uh, of both of you to respond to, just so we can kind of ease into uh, our conversation. So on, I'm gonna, so as I'm reading, uh, Gary is like taking it in and, and from like the perspective of and just being mindful of what it com- what comes up for you as from the perspective of the re- the research that you do and um, et cetera. So I'm gonna read, it says, All of us have a role to play as concerned citizens, as human beings, as people who value our future to support this change. Politicians respond to public voices and the pathways we are advocating will need public action in a chorus of voices to reach unstoppable momentum. We need a a movement of movements built on outrage and optimism. We need a change in the narrative. We need to open a conversation in every home, every school, every university, every town and city on how to upgrade our economic system. We think this is possible. We think this is possible. At the end of the day, it is about defending our common sacred values, providing a home for our families, our kids, our loved ones, ensuring the dignity of each human being, and looking forward to the future of a livable planet. So, uh, Sandrine, if you could. um, Speak to that entry as well as uh, explain to audiences what the Earth for All uh, book and report is and its initiative.
2: Well, it'd be my pleasure. So first of all, thank you for reading what I think is one of the most essential passages in Earth for All. I think the title clearly speaks to itself in the passage that you've just read in terms of the way in which we believe that we have to thoroughly think through now where we are in terms of our current systems and whether these systems, whether it be our financial system, our economic system, our societal and political systems are truly servicing people, planet and prosperity and are ensuring as we are facing a poly crisis that we are going to be able to protect as many citizens of this planet as possible and other species from future pandemics, from future conflict, from future climate. And how do we build resilience in our systems to do so? So Earth for All, a survival guide for humanity is an answer to those questions. It is trying to lay out through two key scenarios, what we call the kind of business as usual scenario And then our giant leap scenario to demonstrate what type of potential solutions we need to put in place around five key turnarounds. I won't go into those turnarounds with regard to this first question, but also maybe let me give you a little bit of of historical background around why we felt that this very important publication was necessary at this time. Uh, We released it during the 50th anniversary of the Limits to Growth uh, As you may know, this was the seminal report published in 1972 by the Club of Rome, very much demonstrating that there were limits to uh, continued population growth on a finite planet and uh, scenarios which indicated also the potential impacts that we would feel, all impacts and tipping points, which would be around the 2020s. And so here we are in the midst of those impacts we felt it was important to bring forward a anniversary, let's say, publication, which brought together thought leaders from across the globe, economists, as well as new modelers looking at the system dynamic modeling to really understand then what is necessary to get us out of these tipping points. Or what type of short term levers do we need for long term systems change and even medium term systems change? And I assume that that will be the conversation that we will be having as uh, we move forward through this podcast.
0: Thank you for that. Um, and uh, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, Gary, if uh, mm-hmm. what uh, hearing that passage and being um, a Thomas Paine historian and in, uh, in historian of like um, economics, uh, democracy, et cetera, like what came up for you uh, hearing Uh, of the work that uh, the Earth for All initiative is doing?
1: Well, of course, the goals that were just laid out um, are good. They're crucial. Um, What I kept thinking about as I heard that introduction was there are obstacles in front of us that um, are huge that Payne faced similar obstacles in his age. And I'm not only a researcher and historian for the past 50 years uh, on pain, I'm also have been a political activist in many levels. And the issue of overwhelming wealth that Payne faced in his time with the monarchies is still in place. And I see that as the crucial problem pain solution was to ensure a democracy and based on equality and we're so far away from that it's it's still as scary as it was back in the days of the monarchs um uh, the resurgence of uh, autocracies um i think is linked to the monopoly of wealth and which causes some of the issues that we brought up, uh, uh, the, the poverty, the destruction of the planet for profit. Um, th- these are issues that can only be solved by a mass movement. And that has its uh, uh, fallbacks. Um, but I still believe what Payne believed that without a mass participation in any major project, any major political project, is doomed to failure. So, um, Payne did it by just his words. Um, uh, it's hard to find another Payne, but, uh, it's, it's an awesome, necessary task to take up on many levels. And this is an expert, uh, who can tell us, um, what's going on out there. Uh, so, <clears throat> I will bring uh what I can to an historical context to this discussion.
0: on that note, uh if you could speak to uh this for some for people who do not know uh who Thomas Paine was and protect, perhaps right. particularly through uh uh the the revolution um and uh the declaration of independence as an entryway to an introduction to anchor who he is into this conversation.
1: Right. Um His role in the American Revolution was crucial, but it wasn't the dominant thing that he did. The dominant thing that he did was to introduce what we call modern democracy. Paine is the person who introduced that. Uh, All power should go to the people. Um, And he set up structures to to implement that. Um, And his hopes were dashed by the Constitutional Convention which was a convention of all the oligarchs in America. And they set up structures that prohibit uh, a mass democracy. So he kept working, kept writing, um, got involved in the French Revolution. And when he wrote Rights a Man, that became the textbook for what scholars call the age of democratic revolutions. That is the foundation of it. Um, it spread all over the world, South America, Russia, Asia. Um, rights of man became the Bible of how to end autocracies. Uh, We're still in that era. Um, And that makes change still as difficult as it was in his day. But it all started with the changes that did take place, minimal as they were, uh, came from this idea that came out of pain of equality is the basis of progress. Equality is the basis for just the government. Without equality, nothing can proceed on a positive basis. So uh, that is is his message, and it's still a major issue in the world today. So historically, I wouldn't confine him to the American Revolution. Um, In many ways, they rejected Paine's and Franklin's ideas about the American Revolution. Um, But his words keep spreading. They suppressed him for a hundred years, more. Um, he's, he's having a new life these days. There actually, we got through the Congress uh, law to put a statue up to Thomas Paine in Washington, um, which will be a big event. People are gonna start asking questions about the politics of Paine, which would be a positive move. Um, but all I can say is I think we're still in the age where uh, monopoly of wealth is the uh, is the obstacle? It's the brick wall on the marathon we have to run that's standing in front of us, um, uh, and that's where pain can be a vital help.
0: So, one of the reasons as as I was reading uh, Earth for All and um, had been uh, reading more and more some of uh, Thomas Paine's works and revisiting like the limits of growth, I was. Uh, and I, as well, just myself, I started 20 years ago trying to uh, trying to do my part in the sustainability movement. And it's this notion of time of like, throughout history, you see people and, and movements happening. And it's like, I'm just really curious <laughs> and uh, concerned about what those uh, barriers are for progression. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation on this podcast called Silo Solving, which is um, about... Uh, helping to create communication bridges for better collaboration to break down such barriers is to kind of um, see what conversations can be created to help make uh, this Earth for All initiative um, to add more momentum. And I came across um, this passage, or I I didn't come across this passage uh, through like the the Thomas Paine Historical Association. That's how I uh, learned about this work. Um, and Tangerine, I want to read it for you. I'm going to see it back just to see what you, uh, what comes up for you when I'm about to read something from the 18th century. Um, I'll, I'll just leave it as that. So it says, um, so this is in regards, okay. So this this entry is from a, a piece called Agarian Justice, which was written in 1796. And it says, it is a position not to be controverted that the earth in its natural uncultivated state was and ever would have continued to be the common property of the human race. In that state, every man um, in, in collective of men, every per- person would have been born to property. He would have been a joint life proprietor with rest in the property of the soil and in all its natural productions, vegetable and animals. Um, And it goes on to talk about um, that there are limits to what the earth can provide. But um, just in terms of this thoughts of uh, hearing that historical um, echo coming up in now in 2023, what does that bring up to you for you?
2: So let me reflect both on that and also the beautiful words that were pronounced by Gary, um, and bringing in the historical significance of so much. You know, I I do find that obviously history repeats itself, and and unfortunately, um, the human mind and spirit does not learn in the way that it should to truly evolve and and also shift. It's it's its impact, um, whether it be relationships with the earth or whether it be relationships with other human beings. If, if we look at the disappointment of not having taken into consideration the depth of the, the signals around the need for true democracy coming from Payne's work, we could say the same even in terms of the depth of the messaging that we had from the limits to growth. I mean, I can read you a passage where we clearly indicated, and this was obviously the the joint efforts of the researchers who put together this system dynamic model, indicating this supreme effort is a challenge for our generation. It cannot be passed on to the next. The effort must be resolutely undertaken without delay and significant redirection must be achieved during this decade. This was pronounced in 1972. (laughs) And here we are talking about the next generation um, as if as if we didn't already know 50 years ago why is why is this important and also what you've just indicated around the global Commons because we tend to move into a technocratic response to everything that we actually do if we look at today's challenges there is a response which is predominantly around technology will actually fix everything or as was very was said by Gary, uh, wealth will fix everything. Um, when we know that it is the overwhelming wealth and the lack of distribution of wealth that actually will be our greatest demise, and we've known for, for many, many decades, add to that then the fact that now we are faced, as I said, with that poly crisis, and that we have to actually put in place systems that truly do focus on equity and wealth distribution now so fast at a time when we are faced with these crises. And that is where I think it's really important that this work from Earth for All is taken into consideration because listening to what Gary says, it is trying to give a response to that overwhelming wealth issue. Uh, Just last week, we were in Davos And we issued a letter based on the results of Earth for All indicating that we need proper taxation of the richest, that we need to address wealth distribution as an absolute fundamental right for citizens, but also for the stability of our society and our markets. Because we can see that in particular on the European market, but across the globe, The inflationary impact and energy poverty, for example, is triggering a backlash and could potentially also have an impact on democratic processes and a growth in autocratic and also populistic movements rather than true democracies. So I, I think that the way in which we've tried to address this in Earth for All is indicating very clearly that while we are faced with the climate crisis, while we're faced with probably more pandemics and increasing conflict, we must take into consideration those three turnarounds out of the five, and I'll list them now, inequality, poverty, and empowerment at the same time. And when we speak about empowerment, that is very much recognizing the role of women within the economy. We can see it through, for example, The COVID crisis and the way in which caretakers, in particular the role of women, which has been sidelined up until now, was a fundamental part of the way in which we transformed and got out of the COVID crisis and therefore demonstrates the importance of the care economy as a fundamental part of our real economy, not just a parallel economy. But we also see that we need to empower women in order to give them more decision-making rights, but also the possibility to have a direct impact on population growth, in particular in certain areas where the decision-making power of the woman is minimalized, as is access to education. So to come back to your question on the global commons, and what I really liked was this passage also, Gary, that you spoke of. Around equality is the basis for progress, but also that the power should go to the people. A great deal of what we're thinking through here is how do we then implement those types of functions within our existing societies? Uh, for example, citizen assemblies or the possibility of creating a universal basic dividend where we would actually tax the commons, in particular those that are taking natural resources, multinationals that now, for example, in the energy sector are making huge windfall profits and redistribute those funds back to the people who should have, and that comes back to your passage, who should have ownership of those natural resources as much of the right to that ownership than multinationals that have actually usurped that right for themselves. So I think that uh, it is quite amazing. I must say, I'm, I'm enlightened through this conversation of the synergies with Payne's work and the way in which we are truly thinking through now where we are today and the need for a revolutionized dem- democracy and a, and a brand new um, basis for bringing equality back to the center of our economic and financial systems and, of course, our political systems.
0: And, and so, Gary, um, I and I, I just have to say, and I knew this is going to happen. This is going to happen during this conversation because there's just so much to, to go off of here. Um, but one of the something that I found again fascinated as I was reading through things in parallel, just wondering. It's like from from Payne's, uh from Thomas Paine's point of view, if he could like say from all those hundreds of years later, like people of 2023 wake up, learn from my mistakes, um, or not mistakes, but learn from the mistakes of that time. If there's like insights Um particularly, I guess, um, what I wanted to, uh, uh something that I wanted to talk about, uh, cause like Thomas Paine was like a silo solver. He didn't just stay. He wasn't just trying to stay within a geographic boundary. And the fact that he was in, um, in uh, the great Britain and America and and in France and working with so many different people. um, I guess, uh, Gary, if uh, based on upon what Sandrine was just uh, mentioning and also to knowing that the earth for all initiative works with so many people across the global sphere, do you think that there are kind of like lessons learned from history that should be in our, that should be taken from out of the periphery so we could, uh, assess them more, just in case they become a history loop of repeating itself if we don't address it now.
1: When that pa- the passage you read from agrarian justice, mm-hmm. his solution was a death tax, which mm-hmm. is uh, <laughs> looked down upon. Uh, but it's so it's such common sense. Uh, the death tax, uh, <clears throat> it it wouldn't hurt the living. And he claimed that the children of these uh, wealthy people, when they die, they have no right to that in itself. Um, they can easily give up a portion of it back to society, which enabled them to receive any wealth at all. Uh, so the concept of a death tax starts with pain. Um, also, the idea of Social Security starts the same place. Um, that's how he would fund Social Security. So the idea of attacking wealth to a limited extent, even, Payne was not a levelist. He wasn't uh, uh he wanted people to be industrious and invent and go out and like he did, create uh wealth by uh creating things. And uh he he would be on the same level uh, of a FDR, for example. FDR's uh, economic bill of rights uh, comes from Thomas Paine. That whole thing, uh, the idea of uh, United Nation comes from Paine. Uh, he um, in the Maritime Compact in eighteen hundred to eighteen oh two, he proposed that we should end wars by sitting down internationally and agree on certain things that would head off a future war. Um took 100 years to even get off the ground, but he started the idea of it. Um, so his ideas get down to uh, basically every basic democratic thought that we've ever had comes out of his writings. Um, It's the reason why he was uh, marginalized uh, and censored. Um, As late as the 1950s, his books were banned, uh, taken out of libraries. Um, uh, That's part of McCarthyism in the 50s in this country. Uh, He was written out of history because everything he's saying was a threat, threat to this wealth and to a monopoly of government that is not democratic.
0: So I know that the the Thomas Paine canon is shifting as uh, the the project on the Collective Works is taking place. Uh, one of the w- uh, ways entry paths that I, basically the historical rabbit hole that I was going down, part of it was I was looking at trying to see um, where there was like individual change amongst amongst like the forefathers um, of America. And like, for instance, I was like, I was curious. I'm like, what made Ben Franklin go from a slave owner to speaking out against slavery towards his his life? And I was just trying to see if there was like any, where was evidence of growth uh, as it, at the individual level in America, particularly. And that's eventually I stumbled into like Thomas Paine. Cause again, like up until, so this was like 2021 that I did not know. I, I had not really heard of him. Um, and I bring up the, um, that was like a social aspect that I was looking in just because I'm I'm a Black American in America and I was just wanting to, And I have many questions, but in terms of the social aspect of like diversity and uh, the the social aspects of uh, gender and race, um, something that I had a question, uh, this is more so for uh, Sandrine, Uh, is like in terms of like when it comes to economics and when it comes to, for instance, like the SDGs and so you have the 17 SDGs, but then you have like the five key turnaround points. Um, The aspects of like the social topics that people, it's, it's always there, but it's not like named about how, with the exception of gender, but it's like what, like race and culture and religion. It's like, I guess what my question is, is like in this time, how can economic narratives better incorporate like the social uh so social scholars and and um bridge makers to be able to speak to people at various cultural dynamics so that way the social behavioral change that's needed to implement and like um Create this economic change can be better, um, just cultivated. Uh, so, so this is a question to me, or would you yeah. like Yeah, uh, uh, any, uh, any, like, if whoever's moved to be like, yeah, whatever data said, I can speak something to that.
2: Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have several reflections being a French, Belgian, Californian. Um, When I compare when I compare the difference between what's happening in California and in San Francisco right now, the it's really quite phenomenal to see the continuous outrage um, from so many communities around for example, the way in which uh, the Blacks are treated and, and, and the Black Lives Matter movement, the way in which we're trying to instill diversity across the United States. I mean, this, these movements are much more pronounced probably in the U.S. than they are actually in Europe. But the fundamentals of economic systems shifts which truly reflect the needs of the entire population in the U S is not unpacked. And yet that inequality is fully embedded in the economic and financial system in the United States. Uh, The fact that there is absolutely no welfare net uh, going back to San Francisco, a, a city, which is the supposedly the wealthiest and has the most amount of, of, wealthy Americans um, making money on the back of the largest growth in homelessness in drug addiction that we've ever seen in the state. That disconnect for me is just unbelievable. Now, switch to, to Europe, where even the left and the right of the political spectrum agree that you need at least a proper welfare state, that you need to have a a foundational piece where people actually can survive and where you don't have such high rates of poverty. Now, it is changing and it is a problem. But overall, there is this agreement across the left and the right that you need to have some kind of social safety net. Now, coming to your question... The social tipping points are what came out of our well-being index as the most pronounced with regard to the potential real issues that we're going to see in terms of our societies. So yes, going beyond the planetary boundaries and in our environmental tipping points are are truly a big, big uh, problem and something that we need to deal with urgently. But the social tipping points are actually even more important because the difference between the rich in the north and the poorest communities and most vulnerable communities to the impacts of the planetary boundaries rebound effects are in the south so that inequality is huge and it's growing and there you need to obviously instill conversations around debt cancellation special drawing rights the way in which we address trade deficits, et cetera, and also basic income. But then the inequality within our wealthiest, highest income countries is also growing. And and there we need to immediately understand that is truly, and in particular in the U.S., uh, those that actually are not white Americans necessarily, um, that are the hardest hit, and the most vulnerable parts of of our population. So I I guess my, my key question back in terms of also where we are in the U.S. is we need a complete rethink, and how is that going to happen when exactly, as Gary has said, the wealthiest are getting wealthier. We don't even have a democracy anymore as it's been usurped by lobbying interests, and no longer truly services the lives and livelihoods of people, nor the universal rights of people to have access to cheap energy, to have access to food, to have access to all of the world's essentials, or the most essential um, material well-being that we actually need.
0: Gary, like, um, so another thing that Fascinated um me or fascinates me about Thomas Paine and another thing that drew me in. So I have a I have different careers, if you will, but like I d- done a lot of work. I do a lot of work in like communication design and like uh, and have worked in the realms of like advertising, etc. And just from a history of communications um and movements, I was just fascinated by this the the reach of like common sense. But also too, just like, like fascinated by like the reach of like the limits of growth. And it's the power of, of words and just being delivered delivered and accessible how much that can make a change. And so in the, and this is, I'm, just, I'm talking this out because that's part of this podcast, like not to get every answers, but just to like start these conversations and, and reflect upon them. In this age of, in the digital world, where there's just so much information, um, the, uh, how does like, uh, I, so maybe this is a question going back to S- Sandrine, but, uh, Gary, if you have like input of building like these collectives, for instance, with the earth for, for all initi- initiative, you have such like a, a broad spectrum from all over the globe of, um, of of people who have great it's a, a great knowledge sphere, and mm-hmm. creating these materials, letting the data be opened so that way people can do their own models with the ele- elevated models. And I I just thought that that was a similar aspect with common sense. This when Thomas Paine was just like, hey, this gonna give it to everyone, like no mm-hmm. no charge. And so I guess like the um this is like a general question for um for you both to chime into of how to engage with citizens, to be aware of these problems um, and these challenges, but then also to the potential solutions. Cause it is easy to be overwhelmed with, there's just so much, but one of the great things about earth for all um, and acknowledging like the SDGs, you guys guys break it down to like five focus areas to make more actionable steps. So that's an open-ended question is for you to interpret however Uh, may resonate, but um, if you could uh, pivot from what I just said.
1: (laughs) In the early 18th and through the late 18th century, the newspaper, the printing presses, and the mass distribution of the printed word is pretty much equivocal to the social media explosion and the technology today. Um, That enabled uh, pain to reach a lot of people and that's when the world started changing rapidly uh, in terms of movement towards some kind of democratic uh, safeguards um so that's going on now in a mass confusion um and that's why the autocrats target misinformation um uh that's how putin Survives and advances and disrupts uh, enemies. It's just a massive dis and misinformation campaigns. Mm. We have to start emphasizing uh, reality, uh, fact based, uh, evidence based information as the key to making a step forward. Because overnight, you can take a good idea and have it subverted. Uh, across the, around the globe, um, uh, with a few messages, a few however whatever vehicle you use, and it creates a sense of malaise. Like there's just too much. In the 18th century, they never said, "Well, it's too much reading in this newspaper. I'm not going to listen." And they had more negative press against ideas of pain than there was positive but he still triumphed. The kernel of what is the truth uh, will eventually win out, but it takes generations. It doesn't take years. We don't have generations. Again, I go back to the fundamental issue and that is unless you have a mass movement, nothing's going to move because wealth and the power that they wield feel safe Um, As long as there's not a mass movement, which is why all their energies is spent on suppressing that, which you could see clearly today in Iran, for example. But it happens in in America as well. Uh, You can't have a sustainable mass movement um, with what we're facing now unless we start finding a way to reach people on a a level of uh, communication. And that's not being done. Uh, we're being drowned out. Like, don't change the existing system is the motto of the accepted progressive left in America. And that's, that's not it. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, it's not changing the world. Um, to maintain the status quo is the fight against uh, growing fascism, but it's not going to address any of these issues that we are talking about. You are talking about mostly. I'm just adding sideline. Um, so, to me, that's in order to form a mass movement, to order to address the problems that you're talking about, you need vehicles to do that. It's got to be a mass movement. Um, and uh, to start that, I would look to pain again. Um, uh, the truth will bear, will bear out. Um, was his motto. Uh, if opinions are free, truth will bear out, but he didn't give it a time frame. And what's different now from his time is that we don't have the time that he had to spread this out. Uh, he had a couple of centuries. Uh, we only have a couple decades. So mm-hmm. it's tough um, to overcome that. But communication is still the key.
0: Sandrine, uh, can you speak a a bit to um, systems thinking and dynamics and um, maybe of like how to identify like as uh, the uh, Donella Meadows, like uh, the the leverage points within those Mm -hmm. systems as we're trying to fix the system?
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I could not agree more with what Gary has just said around communication. Let me add a few words to that and then I'll go into systems thinking and the power of systems thinking and also leverage points. We absolutely need a mass movement. And it's interesting that Payne used words in order to influence. And we both believe in the strength of words. You know, we've really shifted the Club of Rome, where for the last 50 years, many publications all bringing forward evidence-based analysis from scientists, economists, thought leaders, very much demonstrating the trajectory that the world was going to, linked to what we call the human problématique and how you unpack wicked problems. And we realized when myself and Mampela took power that actually we really needed to properly translate those words into action. And what would that look like? And coming to what Gary has said, there are ways in which we really do need to be one step ahead. Um, Unfortunately, I, I wish that everyone is on the same level of understanding what truth truly is, because these days the misinterpretation of truth through the way in which it is manipulated, exactly to your point, Gary around the what we've seen through Putin himself or Trump in the US um the way in which we've completely repackaged what we all believe is truth look at the denialists with regard to climate change versus those that understand that climate change is truly upon us 98% of the scientific community has the proof to demonstrate that actually climate change exists and yet we give as much time to that 2% of deniers as we do to the 98%. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. So how do you combat that? Because it's a very strong movement against, and I'll point to, for example, even just Ronald Reagan against the limits to growth, when he made his famous speech saying, there are no limits to growth, there's only limits, because there are only, um, the whole, how did he say it? He said, there are no limits, there are limits to growth, no. What did he say? There are no limits to growth because there are no limits to our imagination. That's the way he said. And and human intelligence. And human intelligence would solve everything. But if human intelligence is not focused on other people apart from just lining its pocket with profits, then actually it doesn't enable us to get out of the mess that we've created. And and that is why I, I truly believe that we need a strategic engine room. And that's a little bit what we've tried to create through Earth for All. It's really a Cambridge Analytica for good. It means that we truly understand that actually that mass movement has to occur at a variety of different levels. In terms of the citizen level, we need to have citizen assemblies that are linked to democratic processes to engage citizens in this discussion then exactly as you said, we need to ensure that we have open and transparent evidence-based information that we show how we've produced our dynamic modeling, what that looks like. And that also opens people's eyes to the power of systems thinking and systems modeling because it looks at the interrelationships and the impacts between different decisions across different sectors, across different parts of our economy, between our economy, our finance system, and our political system. But it also means that we respond truly to what most people are saying. Because when we are told by policymakers transformation is too difficult, we have to get brave enough to say, hold on, we've just gone through two and a half years of COVID, where we saw that we were able to transform pretty damn fast. We made people wear masks. We actually introduced mass vaccine policies. And we also introduced vast and very important lockdowns in many countries, all of which was transformative and enabled by state action. And I think that holding those policymakers accountable for what they've just gone through and showing them, and this is the system's approach, joining the dots between what is happening and how we can act. Looking at the fact that actually our economy for the moment is broken in the West. We have the highest unemployment rates in some countries, highest also mental illness and suicide rate. And we also have the first generation that's making less than than its parents. Don't tell me that actually GDP growth and the neoliberal model that we indicate is supposed to be the only model is actually servicing more people across the globe and even within the West. We took a survey and we saw that G20 citizens, 75% of those citizens answered That they would like to move towards a well-being economy. 75%. We need to use that data to then again show policymakers who don't have the courage to change that this is what citizens are asking for. And that also means that we need to work directly with policymakers to give them their solutions. And that's why those five turnarounds are so fundamental, because we are unpacking within the poverty, inequality, empowerment, and food and energy turnaround, those are the key five, what are the key solutions to get us through the giant leap? How will we actually get to well-being? So that this is not a doomsday scenario, but this is a journey of exciting new way of moving forward and ensuring that we can truly create an earth for
0: all. Thank you both. If, if, if you could, uh, speaking back to like action steps and policy being policy change, being a big driver. Um, so it was like when you're doing, reaching out, uh, with committees to, to change your policy, it is providing the case, the presidents, uh, where, where the humanities coming back into sector where you have social sciences, you have history into making that case, but then you also have like the action steps that, um, need to be set forth. So, um, what are ways from both of your separate organizations, things that are already existing now, things that may be happening in the future um, of resources and projects that you're working on that can basically be either a knowledge hub or call to action center for citizens wanting to, citizens and being clear because the, this podcast is for business and industry as well, or like primarily to like, what can we do as a collective to make a earth for all and equality for all in justice?
2: Well, I think one is to make it very clear that this will not cost the earth, but actually not doing anything will. So the giant leap scenario clearly indicates, and we've unpacked the costs. It's about two to 4% of global income per annum, and that comes to about um, U.S. dollars, two to four trillion, okay? Now, This is absolutely feasible if we get rid of perversities in the market, we shift. So if you look at the subsidies that we, for example, we give fossil energy or industrial agriculture, or if you look at some of the incredible perversities in the way in which we actually don't enable wealth distribution, for example, not putting in place the right taxation structures to tax windfall profits, to tax the wealthy, to make sure that actually they pay their fair due into society, and also to look at global commons tax. So this is the way in which we actually show to policymakers that this is feasible, but also it's the way in which we show to citizens that this is not about dramatically going back to the Ice Age or the Iron Age. Um, It is actually about coming back to what is most essential. It's about ensuring that we do embrace a a well-being. It's also about showing the costs of inaction and that we unpack as well. And we're doing more work actually on those costs of inaction. We're also doing more work on demonstrating what are the necessary leverage points that we need within industry, also within city structures and at the national level, And what does that look like in practice from a timing perspective so that we understand that over this next decade and the following decade, what it is exactly that we need to do to turn around the current situation? I mean, let us not forget that we are already beyond six of the planetary boundary alert cycles that have been put forward by Johan Rockström at the Potsdam Institute. Johan is one of our um, commissioners and also one of our partners through the Potsdam Institute in this project. So the wellbeing aspect is very much coupled so that equity, poverty is coupled also with what we need to do with regard to the planetary boundaries. And, And that is what we're really working on with policymakers to make them understand these are the costs of inaction, these are the actual costs of action. The costs of action are less than the costs of inaction.
0: So so Gary, uh, uh, what you are like, um, and, and know that you're working on uh, creating a, a collective works of, um, of Thomas Paine and just knowing how, we were talking earlier about truths. And um, we also too were talking about earlier learning from the past. So that way we could stop these like, historical loopholes of being in endless cycles. Um, and so a way to do that is to really uh, reflect and understand like the, the truths in history to create a, a different blueprint. So can you just talk from a, um, what, uh, so this is like a kind of a broad open question because I, I am uh, I, I'm a believer <laughs> that uh, the liberal arts and business industries need to create a bridge and work together more to uh, be better solution solvers um, and break down those kind of silos to uh, have more innovative thoughts. So, um, broadly speaking, if you can just talk about how uh, the process of, of seeking truth through texts and the means through by which you go to do that, whether it be through technology, working with international channel- channels and cross referencing, how does your collaborative work as a researcher, um, like what are some like skills that anyone can take away from, regardless if they're a historian of uh, just Thomas Paine?
1: The uh, research that we've been doing is going to change the way historians um, approach their jobs. Uh, We've managed to develop a computer text analysis uh, methodology that enables us to get over 90% accuracy on identifying authorships. So we can take a document and if we have a database of all, all known authors at the period, we can identify who wrote what. And that's gonna change a lot of history books. And that's just a small example of what modern technology can accomplish. Um, We've basically tripled the Thomas Paine canon with this, um, uh, all supported by content and uh, uh, historical references. From that way of approaching this problem, it's been a roadblock for a hundred years about Uh, Should we read Thomas Paine or not? Was he really this good or can we just ignore him because he was supposedly an atheist, which he wasn't, which doesn't matter. Um, We've we've broken through all that and put it on a scientific basis. Um, Government and policy formation has got to be run with a scientific basis. Um, If it's not, we can't tackle any of these problems. Um, some of the things you uh that were just said is about um, um what many people on the left, the far left actually would agree with you a hundred percent but it takes mass involvement again I'll bring that up just briefly uh to get anything done um. The tumult that is going to happen in the world in the next 10 years, 20 years, um, is going to be uh, countered by a growing fascist movement. And that means violence will happen. Even the best laid plans that you're coming up with, um, yes, it's logical and it's the path that all people would support but violence will intervene and without the mass movement, you're not going to interrupt that. <clears throat> I meant to say that before, that's why I'm in, inserting it right now. Um, that's something you take heed of. Um, uh, we're going up against the wealth of the world. I don't think the people who pull levers of power uh, and financing um, are afraid of global warming. Uh, wrong term, Uh, global climate change, because uh, they think they're invincible. They think uh, Elysium was not a a fiction. You can create that yourself. Uh, They're going to build rockets to find a new place to live and let us uh, pass away. So um, it takes a lot more effort than let's put out a logical plan and people will run to it. I don't have all the answers. I don't have probably many at all. Uh, I just know that we have to cling to the idea of through a democratic mass movement, you can force change. It's not going to be logical. They'll just stall. um, And we don't have time to stall anymore. So I don't have many uh, positive things to to say. Uh, At my age, uh, I don't see an end to this. But, maybe at your age, uh, you can ha- maintain some hope. Um, but the hope is going to come from a democratic approach. It has to be it has to be absolute equality in the world, which means rights to economic uh, existence, a right to um, freedom of uh, our own bodies, um a right to all the basics that are being challenged now. Um, And it's not being challenged in a vacuum. It's being challenged um, as an element to um, have people fight each other. Um, That's the program in America. And it's going to take a global stance. When we have to move a couple of billion people away from the oceans, Mm -hmm. how that's going to be done is going to be... um, uh, the few hundred people are thinking, well, fascism is the best way to do that. Um, we'll just tell them what to do. It's If it's not on a democratic basis, it's going to be uh, um, explosive, to say the least. So I don't have a lot of positivity as much as everyone else here, but uh, that's my age talking. And um, I keep falling back on pain because what he faced... Uh, the religious dogmatism, the absolutism, the uh, a lack of even acknowledging that there's such a thing as a right, which uh, Burke, Burke, Edmund Burke, mm-hmm. an ally of Payne early on, uh, became his biggest enemy. Um, that struggle is still going on. Uh, the burke Payne debate is fighting for the idea of democracy. Um and all these elements are combined. You have to. Science is going to help, just like it did in pain's the age communications, and there is a way out. But it's all based on politics and a democratic mechanism, not a absolutist mechanism.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And just to reinforce and to tie it back in, as like we, um, as we like wrap up, um, that being a common denominator of what you were saying, like what, like because. Uh, Thomas Paine in and agrarian justice was using uh, quantifiable like data sets of like when he was figuring out what was the uh, what taxes or what finances should be given to the citizens um, and the limits of growth and using the, the, um, like the like the uh, the models and using technology to as a as a partner in the solution making for projecting. Um, a pathway forward. And even now with like earth for all, there is, it's kind of a, it is on all hands and technology on deck, but, but with intention, uh, and how technology can be used to amplify. But at the end of the day, it's what we put into it. Um, and having that integrity and that truth and, uh, and sometimes truths aren't, rainbows and but, like, and butterflies. And so we need to hear some harshness because that's been part of the perpetuation of just thinking, Oh, it's going to fix itself. And it's when you do look back at the evidence and like the, the statistics and you see those patterns, that is, that's just, um, that is a, the element of, of truth. So um, uh, before I do um, my official sign off for like recording, um, is there, uh, after having this conversation with each other, uh, and, and myself and hearing more from different perspectives, um, Sandrine and Gary, do you have any particular questions for each other? I
2: just want to thank Gary for his incredible work. Um, I, I can't help, but think that, um, Pain has obviously in this context two very important significance, one about the incredible work that Thomas Paine undertook and his resilience to push back, but also the word itself in today's society, I actually think that we have to acknowledge that it will be painful and pain is not necessarily a bad thing. We grow and evolve through pain. And that is fundamental. We've become a society of complicit, complacent, anesthetized human Mm. beings who who believe that actually um, the less amount of pain, the better. We take painkillers for everything. And yet we continue to be addicted to all the wrong things. So maybe the, the symbolism of this incredible podcast is that in Thomas Paine's work, we also need to think about We can only grow through pain and our knowledge of what pain (laughs) produced and also the Mm -hmm. fact that we will truly have to build ourselves potentially from the ashes. We also have to think about the historical significance of what we've seen and what we've done as human beings and tap into the potential of that human spirit, the positive human spirit, that came out of, for example, the Second World War, that came out of the abolishment of slavery, that came out of the anti apartheid movement and the, the obliteration of apartheid in South Africa. That's what we need to build on. We need to remind ourselves that this is a democratic revolution, in Payne's words. And that is exactly what we need to stand up to the plate for now in today's world.
1: I agree. Think like, Very good. Uh, that's a great sum- summary. Um, yeah. uh, the impact that pain can still have you know, on politics today is starting to emerge slowly. Um, uh, people like Jamie Raskin in Washington is, mm-hmm. he spearheaded this fight for a statue in Washington and it looks like it's going to happen. Um, it'll it, It'll create many people uh, saying, who is this guy? Because most people don't know who Thomas Paine is. And if that, if they start picking up uh, some of his writings, it might help towards this uh, push towards re-democratizing this country. Um, and that'll have an impact. Um, that's it.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Sandrine and Gary, for joining this episode of Silo Solving. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, you both like this really gave us, um, a lot to think with and like tools and, um, pathways forward just to like keep up and create more momentum. And so it's greatly appreciated, uh, for audiences. I will, uh, uh, give a link to the earth for all and, um, some, uh, for resources for uh, Thomas Paine's uh, works and continue the conversation. And, um, Let's do what we can. Thank you very much. Thank you.